everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cancer Mom. As always, it's me, Noor. I haven't recorded in about three weeks. I recognize that. Um, I've been slacking a little bit, but that's also just because a lot of things have been going on that we were not anticipating. And even as I'm saying this, I know nobody really cares because I have like four listeners, but also because most of my listeners are all parents. So you guys understand how difficult it is to make time to record and to really, you know, put my thoughts into my voice. What? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, you guys know how hard it is. Um, But I've also decided that I think I'm going to cap this podcast at around 12 episodes and take a break and really think through more of my thoughts before I come to you. Um, The other reason why I didn't really record is because um, I find that if I start to try to record something while I'm feeling the feelings that I'm feeling, most of it just comes off like bitter and angry and resentful and angry. I said angry, but it's not inspiring. It's not hopeful. And even though that might be, you know, realistic, it is realistic. It's how I feel a lot. And a lot of you listening might say, hey, I feel that too. I also want this podcast to be, um, Uh, not like a you know I I don't want to I'm not Oprah (laughs) but I want this podcast to make you feel better I want this podcast to make you feel like you have somebody somewhere that feels the same way as you do but also that it's inspiring and hopeful you know I I don't want to just have everybody feel sad um or, or like annoyed or angry um but you know that's also why I see a therapist so I can yell at them I don't so I don't have to yell at you guys um but that's that and uh that was housekeeping, I guess. That's what you call it in the podcast business when you say nonsense before you actually start the episode. But um, now on to the episode. So it's September, the best time of the year, in my opinion. The weather's nicer, except not today. Today is terribly warm. Thanks a lot, climate change. But I love September. I loved it as a kid. I loved going back to school. And I even loved it as a parent. As a parent, back to school time is great. It's the first time you smack those little high knees and send them off to school, followed by sobbing uncontrollably in your car on your way to work. It's pretty amazing. It's emotional, but it's wonderful. It's the time that you get to say, hey, I think I did an all right job teaching you the basics of not being an axe murderer. I mean, until at least the age of three. And now I'm gonna send you off to an actual certified educated professional and to a school that charges way too much for aftercare. It's a huge milestone and you feel like you did pretty good. You know, you definitely feel like you're getting yourself back. For parents, that's a really big deal, especially for moms that have been stay-at-home moms until their kids go to school. You're finally getting you time, whether it's to go back to work, whether it's to work out, or my favorite, just sitting in silence in your house. It's pretty sweet. September means back to school. Unless you live in Texas, where I believe that they do back to school in August, which I feel really badly because that's your summer. Although it's so hot in Texas. You know what? Scratch that. Whatever, Texas. You stay you. Back to school time in September is great. But once you enter this world, this terrible cancer world, for cancer moms and dads, September can be emotional, it can be heartbreaking, and it can be inspiring all at once. Aiden went back to school this month, which is another reason why I wasn't really able to record, but he went back to school and it was everything. 
It was incredible, it was monumental, and it was amazing for all the reasons that you can imagine. We never, ever thought we were gonna make it here. We prayed for it, and we hoped for it, obviously. But in November of last year, nowhere on our radar was September of 2018 and especially not back to school. I mean, we were just trying to survive 24 hours. We didn't know if we would ever get to the summer, let alone going back to school, dropping Aiden off to school with the same families that we had seen for years, seeing his school, seeing kids being normal, being back to a normal routine after an excruciatingly abnormal year. And this past year, well, really this past 10 months, It's been a lot. And it's wild to think about where my life was as a mother a year ago. You know, a year ago, I had just started my dream job in my dream location, making dream money and dream moves. And Aiden was adjusting beautifully to attending school from eight to five, sometimes eight to six, like a real big boy. I mean, he was in diapers, but still it was a really big deal. And I was getting me time. I was finally going back to work after having two kids and I enjoyed it. We had bought a big house and I liked my house and I liked to do nice things for my house. And hey, I kind of like making my mortgage payments on time too. But I liked going back to work. It was finally using my brain again, which I enjoy. I like my brain. It was great. I was able to be me again and he was just blooming. I mean, he was taking over everyone's hearts at school as usual, with that great big beaming smile. And I'll talk about that smile a little bit later. But life took the turn that it did. And he was diagnosed. And I went from this ignorant bliss that basically focused on me after a really long time back to having a newborn, you know, back to being a new mom again. And it was a newborn in a NICU with a really nebulous timeline. And that's what it was like. Over the last year, it was like Aiden was a baby again, which was challenging, of course, because he was a big old three and a half year old. And also because I did have an actual baby during treatment. Noah was only seven months old when Aiden was diagnosed. But from November 4th to today, it just, Aiden went from being a newborn whose first we were just getting to experience all over again to going to school like a four and a half year old. A lot of kids with cancer, and especially kids who go through surgery, and especially brain surgery, they're told, parents are told, that our children might not talk again, they might not smile again, they might not eat again for a long time. So experiencing Aiden's first words, or smile, or laugh, or eating, I mean, it really did feel like a brand new baby. And they pulled at my heart like I had just given birth, even though he was three and a half. The first time after surgery that he smiled and he laughed and he ate and he spoke, all the things that you celebrate when you have a baby, the first, we really got to have that again. And it was incredible. It was bittersweet. I was certainly angry somewhere in my mind that it all had to happen in a hospital, but it was everything. During the weeks leading up to diagnosis, we had talked about trying for a third around Aiden's fourth birthday. I have two boys and I really, really wanted a daughter. Like really, really, really wanted a daughter. And Fad wants like 15 children, which, you know, I've told him he can have as many babies as he wants. It just won't be with me. But that's where we were headed. In my mind, we were a family of five, just like the family I grew up in. I have two older brothers. And then of course, Aiden was diagnosed. 
And all that family planning, the pictures you imagine in your head, the childhood you imagine for your children, the family that you dreamt of, all those are just sort of thrown to the side. All you care about is your cancer kid. Your kid just got diagnosed and literally nothing else matters. The only future that matters are the next 24 hours. And I knew psychologically I and emotionally that I would not be able to get myself through a pregnancy again. You know, carrying a child and then worrying about just the typical newborn things, but then also being concerned the whole time that this baby that's in my belly might be carrying the same genetics as Aiden. Well, he would, or she would, hopefully she. I would worry, is this baby carrying an embryonic cancer like Aiden's, which would just remain undetected until it decides to show itself. So a few days after Aiden's surgery, when he had just started smiling and softly saying a few words to us, I asked Fahad if he wanted to try for that third baby. And he said to me, let's just make sure this one gets better. Isn't it like having him as a baby all over again? We had a lot of fun raising him the first time, and I think we'll enjoy it the second time too. First of all, guys, what a babe. I love him. But it was true. Over the last year, we got to have a lot of those new firsts. And Aiden, as far as I'm concerned, really has four birthdays. November 6th, the day of his tumor resection, and the three times he got a stem cell transplant. They were all rebirths. I mean, he was truly given life again. So this month, with him going back to school... It's been amazing. You know, it's been everything that I could have imagined. It brought so much joy, but a lot of confusion that I wasn't expecting. It's happiness filled with like guilt and anger and shame and frustration. September is, like I said, the start of school, but it's also Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. It is, as another mom called it, Heightened Awareness Month, Heightened Awareness Season. Because when you live in this world, you're never really not aware. Your immediate family, your new friends, your cancer mom and dad friends, we're always aware. We were ignorant before we got into this world, blissfully even, but we've been aware since diagnosis. We've been aware since we shared hospital floors and rooms and toys with kids who have so many different types of cancers. Our news feeds and social media and our phones are just blinking and blowing up with updates about baby girls angels and baby boys strong and toddler boy warrior and toddler girls heroes. But September, September is awareness month for, of course, the ones who didn't win the crappy genetic lottery that we did. But even for us, and especially those of us in remission, it's a time when the filters really come off. Even the photos and stories of kids we've been following for so long, they just become a lot more raw. When I used to post updates about Aiden, I never posted a picture of him not smiling or playing or just like being his regular self. I felt like it would just be an easier pill to swallow for other people. You know, it's something people likely won't scroll away from. But in September, we don't hold back. Or at least I haven't been and neither have a lot of the families that I've gotten to know. You don't know until you live in this world just how ugly things can get. And for the most part, we try to push that ugliness aside because it's so much easier to be hopeful about a smiling, vibrant kid, but also because we ourselves as parents, we don't want people to pity us or our sick children more than they probably already do. We want our children to be strong and brave and fighters. Hell, we even call them that. We call them warriors and fighters and heroes. Aidens of medulloblastoma warrior. But they're not, they're just kids. And you know what kids do? They throw tantrums. 
They cry, they fight, they yell, they scream. They knock syringes out of nurses' hands. They punch their parents in the face. That's what kids do. And that's what cancer kids do. Kids fighting cancer can be inspiring and uplifting because it's these little people doing big adult things, but they shouldn't have to. It's not how it should be. It's these little humans with adult drugs inside of their bodies. They're handling adult drugs in children's bodies. They're handling adult side effects in little kid bodies. I mean, kids under the age of two. And as a result, that's not always a smiling, vibrant kid. So this month, when I was prepared to post Aiden's smiling, vibrant, mandatory first day of school picture, I was filled with a lot of guilt and shame. I was so proud of our first, of getting here, of making it back to this day, of experiencing his first day of school again, but I was so overwhelmed. I felt like sharing this picture of what looks like a completely healthy kid who just had kind of a rough year, but was doing normal kid things, was a lie. I felt shameful. I felt like I was doing my child and other cancer families a disservice by showing the world that, look, in just a few months, we're all back to normal. This angry voice inside of my head was just screaming, why us and not them? And this why us and not them has really transformed since diagnosis. In November, it was like, why is my child sick and why do other people get to have healthy kids? But now in remission, it's like, why are we allowed to do normal things, but not the children who are still fighting or the children who didn't make it or the children left with debilitating side effects? Why did we get to take home our NICU baby? Why did his nebulous timeline become so much more clear? While other parents found out that theirs was even cloudier or worse would be cut short. The first day of school picture just felt like a lie. It felt like a slap in the face of the people we know and love who were still struggling with the impacts of pediatric cancer on their families. But as this is Cancer Awareness Month, I figured I would channel my anger into awareness. The goal is always to raise awareness of how fucked up things really are. That's the point of this podcast. People think that just because Aiden's back at school and he has his full head of beautiful hair back, everything is normal. But God, we are so far from that. And how would you know? You don't know that he's extremely photosensitive. You don't know that he can't be in heat for more than two minutes, maybe, and that he'll scratch his skin raw from being completely uncomfortable and itchy. You don't know that he can't play with kids for too long or that he'll overheat and exhaust himself. You don't know that his energy levels are not like normal four-year-olds. You don't know that he has extremely heightened emotions that he sometimes just can't control. And I'm not talking about four-year-old tantrums. You don't know that he cries uncontrollably sometimes. And when I ask him, baby, what's wrong? He says to me, mama, I don't know. I don't know why I'm crying. You don't know that he missed an entire year of school where he should have been learning to read and write and that he's still so far behind. You don't know that he has hearing loss. You don't know that he'll have learning disabilities. You don't know that... One time he asked me if his tumor will come back now that he has long hair again. And that I had to convince him that no, that's not the case while biting my tongue because I'm so afraid that saying that this won't happen again is just asking the universe to prove me wrong. That I'm telling God that I know better than he does. And that I'm terrified that it'll come back. They don't know that sending him to school with the same kids and same teachers is triggering as fuck to the days before his diagnosis. You don't know that while you're 
news feeds and timelines are filled with children going back to school. Ours are filled with empty beds and empty desks and empty porches and hospital beds and wheelchairs. You don't know that while we celebrate our children's new first, there are parents preparing for, or worse, remembering their child's last. There's so much that we don't say to you that you would never know. And I mean, how could you know? You don't know until you enter this world. That's what I want people to know. I want them to know how rough things can be for us. I want them to know that while we fear our children's cancers coming back, we are also dealing with the damaging lifelong side effects of their treatment. We want you to know that Cancer Research for Kids Cancers has so much farther to go. And you might watch some documentary, especially that bullshit one called The Truth About Cancer. And you might think that you've Googled a little and you know a little bit about it, but you don't know. The truth is that one in 248 kids will be diagnosed with cancer before the age of 20 in the United States. Think about that number, one in 248. I had more than 250 kids in my graduating class in high school, and that was 15 years ago. The number seems large, but it's so much smaller than you think. The truth is that two minutes from now, another child will be diagnosed with cancer. Another family will have to face the very real possibility of losing their child. Because the truth is that a lot of those high numbers of diagnosis of nearly 700 children who are diagnosed worldwide, the survival rates are still astonishingly low. It's only a range of about 60 to 80% survival rate. But the truth is that even a cure isn't enough. Nearly all childhood cancer survivors are left with lifelong and life-threatening chronic health problems. And that includes autoimmune diseases, disabilities, cognitive delays, and a poor quality of life that leaves them incapable of living an independent life. The truth is that funding for pediatric cancer is consistently and vastly underfunded. The truth is that only 4% of the federal budget for cancer research is spent on finding better treatment for pediatric cancer. So that means that, for example, for adults, breast cancer, testicular, prostate, lung, don't get me started about testicular cancer. I have a lot of thoughts about it, but that's for later. All those cancers that primarily impact adults, 96% of the budget is spent on that. Cancers that are specific to children only get 4%, and that's crazy because the truth is that there isn't one type of cancer for children. Children are impacted by 12 different types of cancers, and of those cancers, there's like hundreds of subtypes. So the truth is that of those hundreds of cancers that are specific to children, kids as young as babies are treated with adult drugs. Have you ever seen a bottle of children's Tylenol? It's not even approved for kids under two. And babies under two are treated with drugs that were developed in the 80s, some as long ago as the 50s. The truth is that since 1980, less than 10 drugs have been developed for children with cancer. And out of those 10, four are for adults and children and only three are kid specific. It's actually not 10, it's seven. So what do we do? What do we do now that I've yelled all this information at you? Will you tell people? That's what I want you to do. You don't know until you live in this very ugly world how common cancer is. And once you're here, you can't just sit back and keep watching it happen. The Facebook group that I joined when Aiden was diagnosed, it was specific for his cancer. And almost every single day, two to three new parents would come on and ask for advice on what to do, where to go, what kind of treatment they need to do. And there are active members on that group who are like eight to 10 years out of treatment. So their kids are in remission, they're cancer free. And their kids are still struggling. They're struggling with just living normal, independent lives. They're struggling with the impact of their treatment. 
So raise awareness, join a cause, run a marathon, cycle for a cure, join a walk, pledge your time and your energy, spend that extra dollar at CVS when they ask you if you want to donate to cancer research. It's important. And now that it is back to school time, and if you are a parent of a school-aged child, talk to your PTA about raising money for kids with cancer. Unless your PTA is run by one of those like very typical, like, I don't know, bad mom types, psychopaths, I'm sure that, you know, they'd be happy to do that. It's a very easy way to raise money for pediatric cancer research. And if you are interested in that, a really great organization to get involved with is Alex's Lemonade Stand. And I'll post the link for you guys. It was started in the mid-90s by a little girl named Alexandra who was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, um, I think as like a baby around the age of one. And her parents decided to do a lemonade stand. And it was, you know, a very simple idea. But since then, Alex's lemonade stands have popped up all over the country, I'm sure all over the world. And by the time that Alex passed away, which I think it was around the age of eight, she had raised close to a million dollars through this. The website is incredible. You can like go on and get all the information you need to start a lemonade stand. They send you a kit and you can do it anywhere. Do it at your church, your mosque, your temple, your school, your gym, your bank. I don't care. Just do it anywhere. And thanks a lot, climate change, which I complained about earlier. It's still warm enough to make lemonade. So do it. Make it happen. They have these little things called change jars or change boxes. You start your lemonade stand, you give them to a family, and you just collect the change that you find around your house, put it in the jar or box, and give it back to the person running the fundraiser. You'd be surprised about where those little pennies go and how far they can go for pediatric cancer research. I know it's hard to hear about these things. I know that if you're not living in this world and you just know me personally or if you know the stories about Aiden or if you know someone who's had cancer, it's hard. It's hard to hear the truth about where our kids are right now. It's really hard for you to hear that because I'm sure you care about these kids and nobody wants to hear how ugly things are. But until we tell you how bad things are, I mean, people don't realize how much further we have to go. And things are happening. Look, change is being made. Every year there is more progress. Medulloblastoma, if you got it in the 90s, Aiden's, Aiden's cancer, if you got it in the 80s or 90s, it was like nobody survived. And even from the 2000s, parents were having to radiate their kids' brains and leave them completely. Like if they were radiating a four-year-old, that kid was going to be a four-year-old for the rest of their life. They survived, but that was it. We've been lucky so far. We haven't had to do it. And I hope, inshallah, that we, aren't, we never have to do it. The treatments that have developed over even the last 20 years have come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. So thank you for listening to me yell at you guys. I have a lot of feelings. But I also wanted to share two very sweet things that happened now that Aiden is back in school um, that might make you cry because, you know, I love to make you guys cry. Aiden's back in school with the same teacher that he had last year. Her name is Debbie, and we love Debbie. And Debbie didn't know this, but she was someone who helped me throughout treatment quite a bit. So a few days before Aiden's diagnosis, he was diagnosed on a, you know, his tumor was found on a Saturday night. And so this is probably like Thursday or Wednesday before that weekend. Um, I was dropping him off to school in the morning, and Aiden was hanging up his bag in his cubby. And Debbie was there setting up for the morning um, and I gave him a big hug and kiss and I said, you know, say good morning to Debbie. And he turned around and he gave her his big old smile and he said, good morning, Debbie. And she put her hands on her heart and she said, oh, that smile. He beams from his heart. You can tell his, his smile just beams from his heart. And throughout treatment, when I was struggling emotionally and mentally, Aiden 
managed to smile his big beaming smile at always the right moments. When I felt like I was the most broken, you know, I felt like I just couldn't do this anymore. That smile truly beamed from his heart, like a laser into my heart. And it always just made things better. It always made me feel like things would get better. And I had to share this story with Debbie and I did, and then we had a nice long cry over it. But that's not it. Another really crazy thing happened. Aiden has a new teacher in school and her name is Susan. So it's Debbie the main teacher and Susan is the other one. And I met Susan at orientation and she was asking me about Aiden and you know she had heard about what happened to him last year. So she said, you know, what happened? And I said he had, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer last year. And she said, what kind of cancer? And I said, brain cancer. And she said, well, what kind of brain cancer? And when someone says what kind of brain cancer, like you know that they personally know people with brain cancer. And so I said, medulloblastoma. And her eyes filled up with tears and she just kind of like pressed her lips together and she smiled. And I said, do you know someone with medulloblastoma? And she said, yes, I did. But like 40 years ago, it was a long, long time ago. And she told me that her brother, who was 11 months younger than her, was diagnosed with medulloblastoma at the age of 21, which is rare actually for a an older person, but then I don't know how long he must have had it, but he had medulloblastoma. Her own brother had it at the age of 21 and she had never met anybody else with it. Like she was part of Facebook groups, but she didn't know anybody else personally with it. And she was so sweet. She said, you know, but he didn't survive. And then she kept saying, you know, but that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And I was like, it's okay. And it kind of like made me chuckle internally. I mean, it's not funny, but it made me chuckle internally because it was like the idea that somebody didn't survive from medulloblastoma is not shocking to me at all anymore living in this world. But, you know, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was incredible that I'm so nervous, you know, about Aiden going back to school. I'm nervous about my newborn for, you know, technically he's like nine months old, 10 months old, maybe. I'm nervous that I'm sending this little baby back to school, back to like doing four-year-old things. And I'm obviously so worried about it, but it's amazing that the person that is responsible to take care of him, the person that, the person that's going to take care of my little guy is someone who is personally affected by it. So Aiden, you know, he's having a hard time right now. He cries every morning during drop off and he just runs to Susan and he knows, I told him, you know, when Susan, when you're not feeling well, when you're feeling sad, you can always go and sit in Susan's lap. And that's what he does. And I just think that that's really special. I mean, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I believe that it's, it's a weird thing for me to be like, it's fucking crazy. And then say, you know, it's God. It seems inappropriate, but it's true. I really always say that there's, something's always made things better when they feel really shitty or hard. And here it is, another sign that we'll be all right. So look for your signs. You'll find them. Thank you for listening, as always. And um, as always, you can tweet me and hit me up on Instagram and at Twitter at cancer mom Noor and on facebook at cancer mom podcast and um if you could rate and subscribe and review me that would be great you can make a note that i'm a real piece of shit that doesn't record and upload any episodes but it would be really great um so thank you for listening if you want more information about ways to get involved you could definitely send me a private message i'm fine with that and i would love to talk more um as always remember to never give up and fuck cancer bye guys (laughs) 